Okay. All right. So yeah, we're just uh, welcome y'all. This is the infamous Carrie Newhoff. Is that the right word? Infamous. Infamous. Is that? That's right. Well, if you know, if you're kind of wanted, your public profile, like they're out to get you. I'm hiding out in my basement in semi-lockdown. So sure, infamous. That works. Oh, man. I love it, brother. You have been such a great friend to me and a mentor over the years. And we uh, likewise. We mentor is just like you're acknowledging I'm much older than you are. No, so that's what that, no, that your ideas and your life experience is is unbelievable. So we're just chatting about. So you're in Toronto, well, outside of Toronto, and you're talking about lockdowns and whatever. So what does that look like right now? Yeah, we just got moved into Ontario has like a five tier system. So we're second from the worst or best, whatever, okay. lockdown. Right. Uh, we're in the red zone. So we're just an hour north of Toronto and one more mistake and they lock us down like Toronto. So I got a haircut today, which is great. But That's I said good. to the guy who cuts cuts my hair, I'm like, this could be it till like 2021. Till till who knows, right? Yeah, who knows? Let us out of here. So I was talking with... Um, with our buddy Josh Gagnon today, who's obviously, oh, good. yeah, he's good, down Josh. in the States. And uh, um, he was, you know, we were just kind of comparing the philosophies and the different kind of, you know, he was like, what, what, what is it like for you? Like, why do you, how do Canadians process all of this? <laughs> oh, we all think the same way, you know? So I that's number yeah, one. I we all think the same way. So that's awesome, Josh. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Well, I was like, yeah. I mean, it's a little different that we don't tend to grab our guns and run to the uh, the city hall and uh, and say, you know, we have rights and whatever. But we, uh, you know, some of us don't. Some of us are more, you know, conservative on the issue, and some of us are more liberal on the issue. And you know, it's interesting as a pastor, we mm -hmm. get emails all the time. I mean, you're moving out of that day to day a little bit, but. Um, I get emailed, you know, the one email will say, how dare you close the church down? You know, we need to fight the man and like, come on, let's go. Uh, and then the next email will be from a doctor or someone in the nursing community and being like, dude, what are we doing? Like, we got, we can't be running around. We got to be careful, you know, whatever. And you got to try to reach both people, mm -hmm. you know? So any advice for the leaders, pastors, people out there that need to try to walk this middle it's not really a middle, it's not a centrist road. I have political beliefs, I have theological beliefs, I have, you know, beliefs about, you know, uh, epidemiology, <laughs> whether I should or not. How do we though, like, there's this very interesting, let me just add this onto it, in the States in particular, I think there's a lot of pressure that people are feeling around. Now I've got to understand civil rights. Now I've got to understand epidemiology. Now I have to understand critical race theory. Now I, and they just got into this to like hang out and disciple people. And now what are you seeing? You talk to everybody. You are connected with the, the, the people who are on the front lines of, of church growth and whatever all over the United States. What are you seeing them do? The pressures talk to that for a bit. I've seen a bunch of stuff. I mean, like you, I've, I've seen people go completely polemic, like just ideological, basically their theology has become an ideology. So, you know, you need to vote this way or that way. And they've gone right. all progressive or all Republican or whatever, whatever that happens to be. And I think that's, that's a cheapening of the gospel. Like, you know, like you, we try to have a church where, like, I don't know how people vote, but I know people vote all over the place. I had a, I had a really, I'll give you the scoop. I had a really good, you were talking to Josh and we both love Josh. I had uh, about an hour and a bit with Craig Rochelle today. And so I was picking his brain on how he's handling this. Yeah. This will all be public. It'll be on my podcast in a couple of months. But like Craig said something I thought was really helpful. He said in this time, and he's worked with some of these guys for 25 years. He said, I've, I've learned that we have a more diverse opinion around the table than I even realized because this brought it out right like all this stuff over the last I mean, at year. his church you mean at his, at his church he goes yeah. yeah even the guys he's worked with right. all these years he's like wow there's more diversity politically yeah. ideologically around oh, yeah. the table and a variety of opinions and I and I asked him I said like Craig well how do you handle that I have utmost respect for Craig he's one yeah. of the Amazing. the smartest leaders I know um Whoever's watching this, if you don't know who Craig is, he leads one of the largest churches in the U.S., I think the largest church in the U.S., and he's got incredible uh, leadership mind, too. And he, he talked about it. I'll get the right phrase. I, we haven't got transcripts or anything yet, but I'm going to go back and listen to it. He talked about empathy, like it was empathetic listening. And he said, 
like I might, he has his own views and he wasn't sharing exactly what they were, but you might right. be like, you know, with the public health officials or you, you know, you might feel like, I think this whole thing's overblown. I don't know. But he, so he had his own opinions, which he didn't share. Yeah. But he said, when I listen to someone I disagree with, I have to do it with empathy. Yeah. And I thought that was really good because, oh. you know, I, you see it on, on, on your social feed right now. Like there's no empathy. It's no. like, Mark, you're an idiot, right? Eh, unfollow, block, whatever. And, and so I think that nuanced in like interpersonal relationships is really important. I wrote this down in just in my own notes a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. There are highly intelligent people who dismiss what you believe. And there are um, also really highly intelligent people who agree with you. And I think, you know, that's, that's something that, that you have to think about. Like I, I look at some people and what they're posting and I'm like, how can you possibly think that? And when I, when I move into that territory, I get in trouble because yeah. I'm not listening with empathy. We um, the other side, 100%, 100%. Yeah, so I thought Craig's, Craig's response was really, really smart. And, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, if you take like adamant stance on something, like even politically, you know, yeah. you look in Canada in the Canadian context, you're probably getting rid of 30 to 40% of your church. If you're like an ardent conservative and ardent liberal, you're basically dismissing someone on the other side uh, yeah. and, or new Democrat or whatever. And your way is the only way. And, and, you know, I think, I think our understanding has to be, no, they're really like smart people who think differently on this issue. How do we focus on what we agree on? And you know, this, <laughs> the church's job is not to adjudicate politics. It's, it's to make Jesus known. And so how do you bring it all back to the mission? And Craig talked about how focusing on why we do what we do. You know, we're gonna we're gonna reopen, or we're gonna we're gonna close back down, or we're gonna stay online, or whatever. Justifying right. it empathetically to people and just saying, "Hey, we've heard the different opinions. This is yeah. what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. We love you. We embrace you. We have different views." I thought that was a highly emotionally intelligent response. Well, I thought your um, your interview with. Um uh, Andy Stanley there a little bit ago where he was talking about, he made a really good point in saying every conversation he's had with people who've been busting his horns a little bit about not opening, they never had a theological or missiological reason. It was always a political reason. And I think I, that's not to be critical of those of you who believe that. It's just to recognize I've gotten conversations, Carrie. I mean, I'm a guy who has studied the Bible pretty intensely and, and the philosophy in first century Judaism. And mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 20 years and I'll sit down with people and they'll be telling me their political views on something and telling me that, you know, let's say this Bible book, the book of Revelation, it does this, it says this, it says this. And they're saying it so authoritatively and, and, and they've, they've never read a, a, a commentary in their life. And I go, okay, so let's talk about it. like, look, this is kind of my thing. So let's kind of chat a little bit. <laughs> and it's like, they're looking at me like they feel sorry for me. It's like, Oh, Mark, you know, if you only knew, you know, and so it's this very interesting world of like, are we talking, are we talking about science? Are we talking about politics? Are we talking about theology? What are we talking about? You know, so anyway, all that to say, uh, let's get into some important stuff here. Cause that's all not important. I'm going to do yeah, but look, look, look behind you for a minute. I, I, anybody watching this, look behind Mark. Like there's an actual library there. And I think you can tell an awful lot about what is in someone's library. And that's one thing I appreciate about you. You got a lot of street smarts. You're funny, you're sharp, you know, you got a great sense of humor, but you're well read. I've read the manuscript for your new book. I've read, I've read your first book. I, I listened to you well, preach. You. I appreciate like you're, you're actually a thoughtful You've well, looked at things from multiple angles. And I would just encourage people to ask a few more questions and yeah. perhaps hey. drop a few exclamation marks. Right. On that note, I'm reading right now uh, for a book that I'm thinking about writing next, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say this book. If you've never read it, uh, political and visions, uh, illusions, who wrote uh, it? Political visions and illusions. Um, a guy named David T. Koizis. Ko Koizis? Yeah, sure. That's exactly it. Dude, it's, I mean, it's pretty heady, but he talks about uh, a lot of an introduction for people around political ideologies. 
So what do these phrases mean? So we got a lot of phrases floating. Everyone's talking social Marxism and, and liberalism and conservatism, you know, all of these different words. I'm not sure everyone knows what they mean. A hundred percent. Yeah. This guy goes through, you know, introduction, ideology, religion, and idolatry, liberalism, conservatism, nationalism, democracy, socialism, transcending the ideologies and the state and its task. And, um, it talks a lot about so classic his point here is classic liberalism which is not the way we use the term you know what i mean idolizes idolizes the individual Correct. socialism idolizes the economic class and nationalism uh, idolizes the nation state or ethnic community and so he's talking about all the ways that if we're not careful about our understanding of the historical you know, ways that these things were constructed. We just drop in with our 2020 definitions of these terms. You know, we're going to become a, a bit of a mess. But anyway, listen, all that's boring. Let's get to some important stuff. I have for the carry, for the man, for the legend, Kerry Newhoff, I have some, let's just riff a little bit on some stuff people want to know about you. All right. So I'm just going to, I opened up a icebreaker website. Okay. This is what I do now. For of course these, he did. You know, okay. It's, 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 it's Dan Rather, uh, uh, Larry King, uh, Walter Cronkite is probably above Dan Rather, and then Mark Clark. Even okay. That's no, a nice, that's a nice, yeah. not a, what's a trilogy? What's a quadrology? Quadrology? <laughs> In a nice regard quadrology. to my journalistic skill set. So I, I said, you know what, let's, Kerry Newhoff never gets on and talks about, you know, this stuff. So let's get to the important stuff. I got a list of crazy. Let's go. But ra rapid fire. We don't need long, yes, you know, Presbyterian explanations from you. He's a Presbyterian <laughs> minister, y'all. That's a joke. Okay. Uh, you didn't, like, give up those credentials when you got all seeker sensitive, did you? I, I was, I was, boy, I haven't thought about that. Uh, I was given a dishonorable di or an honorable discharge, not a dishonorable. I was, what is it? I have a historic, uh, a certificate of historic standing with the Presbyterians. So I'm okay. no longer one, but they're like, thank you. That was it. Something like that. Okay, here we go. That was a long time ago. Best interview you did this year, save this one. Uh, save this one. Uh, yeah, 2020 was a year. Probably Gordon McDonald on The View okay. from 80. Yep, eight decades of wisdom. So well, good, got, two and a half hours. Keller interview too. You were loving that. Oh, gosh, Keller. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot. Keller? Yeah, that was bucket list. Maybe Keller, because I'm going to do another one with, with Gordon. Okay, here we go. The real stuff here. Now, what'd you eat for breakfast? This is all rapid fire. Don't Oatmeal. think... Yeah. What? Oatmeal. <laughs> It was so exciting. Oatmeal with like awesome. frozen cherries. Okay, what is your uh, morning routine? I didn't even read these. I'm just picking them. What does your morning routine look like when working from home? Real quick. like not, Well, not I've worked from home forever. So I usually get up pretty early around five. And then I come down to this room in the winter. Yep. Yep. And uh, I check my phone for a minute. Then I have some quiet time. Yep. And then usually drinking a cup of tea. And then I'll get to work about an hour later. Okay, are you an early bird or night owl? I know the answer. Early, early, early. Yeah, you're up at what time? Uh, this morning it was four, but then I went back to bed. It was too early. It's insane, man. I know you're going to bed. I'm getting up, but what, what yeah, you, pretty I'm, early. Normally I'm, five, five to six, five, five thirty. I'm up. I'm midnight or one, but I'm up. You know that means I'm sleeping in. Yeah, that's a really early morning for me if it's midnight or one. Then I didn't sleep enough. Yeah. Okay. So uh, showers. Do you prefer morning or night? Morning. Okay, what's one thing we could do? Okay, no, that's not it. Uh, what's your favorite? No, boring. Uh, uh, okay, last great TV show or movie you watched? Ah, uh, gosh. Uh, we're big Office fans, so that was COVID. Right now we're watching The Queen's Gambit and also Schitt's Creek, which is really funny. Wow, did you just swear on my part? I think that's the no. first. It has a... It's true, S it's last name. I, I understand it's a last name. My wife's a big fan. Uh, but that's funny. You got away with it. I can get away with it too. Then Shit's Creek is that a good is that a good show? Shit's Creek. It's actually really funny. Right. Yeah. And um, and shot like an hour south of here. It's in Goodwood, Orangeville, good Ontario. Canadian good Canadian writers. Mm -hmm. All of that. Mm -hmm. uh, best book other than Problem of God you've ever read? Yeah. Ever read? Probably my all time favorite is Henry Nouwen's The Genesee Diary. Oh yeah. I you know I read your uh, post the other day where you yeah. yeah. You know, I, have I love that one. It's it's obscure. It's obscure, okay. but it's just okay. a fave. And, and also, Doris, highly recommend right now Doris Kieran's good one, the leadership in turbulent times. So good. yes, yes, a uh, 
what a television show I was watching before I was talking about her. She said uh, she's a national treasure, but she's. Oh, I'm trying to get her on my podcast. Like, uh, I'm not getting a response. I got three out of four. I asked. I got Seth Godin, Cal Newport just confirmed, and John Cotter from Harvard Business School. So oh, wow. I'm just waiting to hear from uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. You are yours. Okay, here we go. Let's get to the fun stuff. What is one article of clothing that someone could wear that would make you walk out on a date with them? Well, seeing as I haven't been on a date in 30 years, uh, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, something with really big shoulder pads from the 80s. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, the I think zombie, they're coming back, though. Okay, the zombie apocalypse happens, okay? Yeah. Uh, okay, the COVID vaccine goes wrong. Uh, who are three people you want on your team? I mean, outside me, so me. Uh, outside you, yes. Putting, I, I, putting I think you're the not. exception to all the answers for these. <laughs> I'm picking up a pattern here. Uh, Three people. Definitely uh, one of my sons, because they're way smarter than me. I might take them both. They have great survival skills. And uh, who else do I want? Craig Rochelle. Yeah. Craig oh, Rochelle. Okay. And your wife, probably. Obviously my wife. Yeah, I, I, I assume we're one, biblically. So <laughs> that's my fourth person. Have you ever been told you look like someone famous? Drew Carey. Get that a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, That's Drew awesome. Carey. Okay. Mm. If you could bring back one fashion trend, what would it be? Ah, <sighs> frosted tips. There you go. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, just a little more blonde in this graying mane. Yeah, mm. if, uh, okay, you want to sing karaoke, what song do you pick? Mm. Probably Fleetwood Mac, Dreams. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's that's uh, up uh, that's up and coming again, right? Because it is all all the hipsters love it. I never quit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, when you die, what do you want to be remembered for? That the people closest to me had the best experience of me. Oh wow! Holy smokes! That was like I've actually thought about that. Can you tell? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's unbelievable. What's your favorite item you bought this year? Oh, what is my favorite item? year i bought a few things airpod um, pro max double X. no i didn't buy those yet i don't know why because i have a lot of over-the-ear headphones i i didn't i don't use you one of us uh, i bought um, by the way with your setup and your microphone and one of us yeah no that was last year uh what did i buy this year i just bought a new weber grill i don't know whether it's my favorite but it's what's in my memory bank so got okay. a new gas grill sam and i'm not competing with the, the great green egg I am, but oh, you know what? I did, I did rebuild that this year. So that's probably like my favorite. Yeah. All right. What is your absolute dream job, Kerry Newhoff? I have it. Doing what I do now for, for real, for real, for real. How amazing is that, by the way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get to interview world-class leaders and run a little communications company and write and speak. And it's, it's my absolute dream, like crazy. I, I could retire right now. I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to talk about your writing in a minute. Um, Okay, what would your absolute dream, oh, I just asked that. Uh, what would the title, this is what I meant to ask, of your autobiography be? He tried. I don't know. <laughs> he tried. Kind of fell short. Uh, okay, I like it. Uh, favorite Disney hero? Do you, remember, do you know? Oh, Disney hero. I'm not a movie guy like you. You, right. you like have rankings for every movie. Okay, Disney oh, I got, I got, I got one. that's boring. You're you're going sailing around the world. What's the name of your boat? <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Uh, okay, so we have an unofficial name for my actual boat. Oh yeah, right. You have a boat. What is? I that? have a boat, but it's yeah. not a sailboat. Okay. Uh, holy ship. There you go. Holy ship. Okay. We got a theme. We got a theme going here. I wanted to call it leadership, but okay. No, uh, Timberlake or Bieber, the better businessman. Ah. Uh, you know, Biebs. Biebs is doing a good job these Biebs, days. Yeah. Uh, Timberlake's what, probably has a higher net worth, but I think there's greater future traje trajectory for the Biebs. Yeah. Uh, what was the worst job you ever had? Oh, I was going to play into all the stereotypes. Sorry for all the great civil servants, but I worked for the Department of Health and Welfare in Toronto. Federal bureaucracy in 1988 was horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Worst job I've ever had. 1988. I was mm -hmm. eight years old. I know, old. you were you were three? Just plucking around. I told you, I'm a lot older than you. Cat or dog? None. Favorite meal to cook? Oh, uh, I would say ribeye on the egg. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm hungry. M&M's um, or popcorn? M&M's, all the way. 
I like it. Okay. So I have a scar. Do you have a scar? I do actually. It oh. looks like I tried to commit suicide, but I was actually detailing a car when I was 13 and sliced my wrist open on the license plate. And that's it. So I still like the detail cars. So that's why it's sentimental. I like it. Uh, would you go with aliens if they beam down to earth? Hmm. I know resisting would be futile because I'm, I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm dead. Like, you know, if there's some kind of apocalypse, yeah, the real question is I'm already dead. So it's like, oh, wait, what? Gone. He's dead. Okay. So I'd probably go. Sure. Good. Okay. Listen, it's been good getting to know you. Okay. Um, didn't see it coming. My book. Ta-da. Hey, you have the ARC. You have the advanced reader copy. Did I never send you a final copy? Is that what this is? Oh yeah, uncorrected proof. Oh, yeah. lots yeah. of lots of lots of corrections. You have so many of them, you you couldn't oh. pick. Yeah. You know, I uh, on that note, we'll, we'll come back. I just wrote the problem of Jesus thing, and so uh, you know that took a year to write it. And there were so many little like when I handed it off to them, and then they would hand it back to me, and then I would see little like, oh, let's move that there. You know, there came a point. This is just between me and you. Uh, mm -hmm and the 13 people watching this, um, that they, uh, at some point they said, you got to stop emailing us changes. Like this thing's got to ship. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, but what about this little thing? And what if we moved it over there? We shift that over to the end notes and we did it. And they just stopped responding to my emails. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's another level. I haven't hit nice that level yet. In I got to nice level up. That's good. In, in a nice way. They were like, look, all right. We get enough. You're, you enough. have CD, uh, and and some things just uh, so anyway. I'm super super jacked about it. But talk about this book because this is the book. This is your latest book, right? This is the one you've. Come mm -hmm. This is the one that came out in 2018. I got a new one in 2021. Um, yeah, it's about all the so things practical. in leadership. So practical. Uh, the, the new book. I will reveal the title right here. I think we can say it now. It'll be up on Amazon soon. It's going to be called. Are you ready? I gave you two scoops. Uh, here's number two. Uh, do what you're best at. When yeah, you're at your best. That. You told me that title a couple of weeks ago and I love it. Do it your best. At. I love it. Yeah. I yeah. Love Penguin it. New York picked it. I could not decide. We went through like five titles. They were okay. So you got like told you couldn't make any more changes. I changed direction on the book. And then finally they got New York involved because they kept vetoing titles. Right. And, uh, and it was the, the person who signed the Obamas, Barack and Michelle, who titled my book. So it's like, I think she knows something about books. She might so, know. Yeah, he's, he's selling a couple now, isn't he? He's, he's, I'm in the middle of it right now, not to get political. He's a good writer. It's a good story. I don't think anyone, if anyone's judging you for reading a book of an ex-president, no matter where they fall politically, they, they should stop. Yes. <laughs> yes. So no, the book's about all the, all the, so the new book is about time, energy, and priority management. Right. Um, it's sort of the, the system I've followed since I burned out or developed and tweaked uh, to get a whole lot more done in, in little time, getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. That's the next book that'll come out in 2021. But the last book, Didn't See It Coming, is about like, we, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, but all the pastors who end up flaming out, they end up having an affair or doing something stupid or they're just not in it anymore. They get burned out and they never come back. And what I've found in my couple of decades of leadership is that there are a number of things that just show up that yeah. you're never expecting. And then all of a sudden you find yourself. See how good this interview is? Like he just walked out on me. This is... I'm listening to you. I've never done this. I've done 500 episodes. I've never abandoned a guest. I am before. listening to you right now. I'm listening. What is Aaron saying? Gosh. Okay. Anyway, now I'm talking to nobody. So I'm talking to the... What are you doing? I was getting a drink of water. What do you want me to do? I got the water. What is this my wife got me? That thing that... that, that um, look. A bar fridge? Has all those weird... The smoke comes out of it. What is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do they call those things? I know what you mean. It's a um, yeah. It's got eucalyptus. The diffuser, so you got yeah, eucalyptus yeah, yeah, yeah. going. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful. So I was yeah. filling that back up and getting a drink. Just relax, all right. Filling that but back. Your up because, it's not your pot. It's so I'm kidding. Offense is something you take. This is what I'm telling myself over and over. <laughs> Offense is something You're the you take. Second person today who looked at me and said. The other guy said, I'm going to take that as your love language. 
which it totally was. I was like trying to make, I was trying to affirm. Well, I guess, you know, you have to be comfortable with somebody to get up and just walk out on them in the middle of a sentence. I wasn't walking out. I was right there. Tell the camera that. Tell the camera that. <laughs> Gary, look, you run you, the podcast. So the, you the book your- is about all these things like abandonment. <laughs> abandonment is one of the new chapters. When I do the revised version, I'll put abandonment in there. No, it's about cynicism, burnout, pride. Um, all those, all those things that kind of sneak up on you and they can take you out if you're not careful. That's what the book's about. And you give a whole bunch of kind of helpful tips on look, because here's the thing, yeah. during the COVID moment, the reason I bring this up is not only because it's a brilliant book, but during this COVID moment, there's a lot of people, whether they're professionals or just regular life, whatever, are feeling burnout. Mm-hmm. So really quickly, tell us, your because you tell them tell us your moment of like here's what burnout looked for me yeah mine came up really suddenly like almost within a week i went from feeling like i was full capacity to losing here are the symptoms that hit me losing all my passion like passion for everything for like life for leadership for the church and and, you know i still believed it intellectually i just couldn't feel it so it wasn't a, a crisis of faith. It was more a crisis of feeling. I was exhausted, like beyond tired. Just all of a sudden, I just hit this wall I couldn't get past. Uh, my emotions were all wonky. Like I either felt nothing, I was numb, or I would, you know, if the problem was a three out of 10, I'd treat it like a 12 out of 10 and just like escalate it. Um, wasn't laughing anymore. Um, no energy. And then a lot of like brain fog, really deep brain fog to the point, well, you know this, right? Like, what do we bring to the table? We bring our brains and our our hearts, pardon me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just couldn't think straight anymore. So it would take me like, I remember there was one day, the summer I burned out. And I think it took me like 20 minutes to write a three sentence email. Like it was that level of, of efficiency. So I was for me, that's probably a clinically depressed. Right, oh man. It was bad. Yeah. It lasted about three months in its most intense form and then gradually started getting better. And then, but it was, it was like a year till I was 70 or 80% and then three to five years before I hit a new normal. Wow. So what were the things that just real quick, cause I know a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, whatever, stay at home moms, teachers, people running their own business, whatever people are tired they're they're trying to discern whether they're burned out so obviously like you said cynicism you're not laughing anymore your productivity is down these are all indicators how do you get back well in my case it involved a lot of counseling Um, my favorite current metaphor for the crisis we're in it's like someone drained the lake and you can see what's at the bottom and you know you realize you got this toxic sludge there and i think that's what COVID has done it's like the lake drain now you see what's at the bottom and it's not always a pretty picture so my lake drained 15 years ago and a lot of the stuff at the bottom was not very pretty so you know there were just things like you know self-pity or jealousy or um, envy those kinds of things that really God had to deal with in my spirit so there was a lot of counseling and then honestly there was just some rehab involved I didn't have any addictions other than to work but like my body was like we are we are done now and you are gonna get rested and so I slept and cried a lot of August 2006 just working out some unresolved grief and issues and and all that and then on the other side the light started to flicker a little bit but, but the real recovery for me came in some new rhythms and, and new disciplines. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was taking my morning routine a little more seriously. It was learning how to say no. It was learning how to release and delegate, how to deal with my own junk and not blame other people, right. uh, how to loosen up control. And then I, I managed, and this is what the next book is about, to get time, energy, and priorities working in my favor. Right. Um, I started saying no more often. Uh, blocking off my calendar so I had some real writing time to focus on great messages, releasing the team to do what they want, refusing to allow other people's priorities to right. determine how I spent my days. And, you know, so, so all of that started to, to I, sure. I developed a system. Because you were, I mean, you were full-time lead pastor, preaching, teaching, leading the team at that time. How did the church respond to you going, I'm crying at home and I'm in counseling all the time, leave me alone? Well, the elders knew. 
Um, and the staff knew, but we didn't get up there and make a big announcement one day. So I happened to be off the month it was the worst. And then I was able, based on muscle memory, to preach in August of 06. And if you were in the back row, you, you wouldn't have known there was anything wrong. We have a lot of muscle memory, but on the inside, I felt like I was dying. So the elders were really gracious and they gave me any time I wanted. They offered me a sabbatical. I, I didn't take it. Hmm. And then, um, you know what the church got? Because a lot of them didn't really know the personal crisis I was going through. The people who needed to know knew. But what they ended up with was a much healthier pastor on the other side, even a year later. Um, right. and, and it allowed us to, to grow. We were about maybe 500 people, 600 people at the time I burned out. And now we're like, I don't know, 1,500 before COVID and, you know, three or 4,000 people would call our church home. You know how that goes. And these days, you know, I'm leading all these leaders. I have the opportunity to, to uh, have, have uh, uh, you know, a, a, a bigger group that I get to serve. Right. And so it's weird. I feel like my productivity is a 10x. Like I'm leading and managing 10x more than what I was 15 years ago. But I have time. So when you text me and it's like, hey, can you jump on a Zoom tonight? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, because right. you're my friend. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, I can do it. Do you know so, but I'm, I'm way more careful. Um, so on that note, you're interacting with the kind of the top leaders in the world. And, and, you know, those of you who don't know Carrie as much, like you got to understand it's probably because you're not in the leadership world as much because he is a very sought after speaker, writer in regard to leadership, all things leadership, especially in the U.S., probably less in Canada, I mean, you also you obviously have an audience in Canada too, but especially in the U.S. Um, and you work with top end leaders in churches and businesses, whatever. I'm fascinated for those people who aren't Christian leaders that are watching this or listening to this. Um, you did this thing where you you had this side hustle or two while you were a pastor that became your life, which is what you're doing now: podcasting, writing about leadership. Uh, speak into like people who are kind of, you know, you'd said like, how, how do you, I'm doing it now. I'm doing, I'm doing what I want to do my dream job. Now speak into the people who, Hey, I want to do my dream job. Uh, mm -hmm. How do I get there? And how did you kind of pivot all of this into a business structure? I mean, obviously it's a massive conversation, but you're a brilliant guy in regard to business. And you took this thing and you turned it into your life and it's something that could create income and all of that. Take us through a little bit of that process. Yeah, so it was very gradual and non-strategic. Um, after I burned out, that happened in 2006. One of the problems, one of the gaping holes in my life was work was my life and I had no hobbies. So I tried different things. I bought a camera, tried photography, that didn't stick got a bike. I still cycle to this day. Um, you know, started barbecuing over charcoal, really enjoyed that. But then a few years later, got into like speaking. I had some opportunities and then I thought I'm going to try my hand at blogging and writing. So I think my, my writing goes back to probably 07, about a year after I burned out, maybe 08. And I just enjoyed it because it gave me something else to do. And it was a hobby. And then in 2012, I launched my first solo book, publish that. And I knew enough about the online world and how publishing was changing to know that publishers don't sell books, authors do. And I had this blog that, you know, it was like most blogs at the time. It was like, you blog a lot in January. It's like the gym. And then by February, you forget. And then all oh, March, I'm going to do it. And then you don't do it. And, you know, so it was start, stop, start, stop, but mostly stop. So in the fall of 2012, I was just like, okay, I'm going to, um, start writing three times a week for leaders, mostly church leaders. And I set a crazy goal for the following year of 100,000 page views. Like that might've been a trillion, right? Like it was just, un it, it was inconceivable that that would happen. Well, it happened within the first two months. And I'm like, whoa, what, what is this that's happening right now? And so I kind of really enjoyed that as a hobby because I was connecting with leaders and having fun. And then that gradually I began to realize, wow, there's, there's like, a, I think there's maybe a calling here, at least a passion here. And so while I was lead pastor of the church, that all really started in 2013. I launched my podcast in 2014. Uh, I think it was 2013. No, 2014. And then um, I was still lead pastor of the church full time, but I had really been passionate about succession. So I was in my late 40s. 
And I knew that the vast majority of businesses failed or, or you know, just closed down with their founders. So many churches that were started by people become a shadow of what they were. Like, you know, what's Village Church after Mark Clark, right? What's Connexus Church after better, I was done? Better, I didn't, yeah. You know, I didn't want it to be a shell of what it was. And God had done an amazing work. So I really worked hard on succession. And then I decided to tap out at 50 back in 2015. And I've, you know, Jeff. And so Jeff's been the lead pastor now uh, since 2015. He's done a great job. And what I did was I kind of downcycled my time at the church. I kept the teaching part and mm -hmm. I'm off staff as of the end of 2020 uh, at Connexus. The succession's complete. But what I did was I just, I just dialed back a little bit on my old day job and made sure that was, and the church is like stronger, better, bigger than when I led it, which is awesome. That's what you want as a founder. And then I just dialed this up. And for the first couple of years, it didn't really produce a lot of income. Um, I just built an audience and built a tribe. And then I studied economic models. So basically, I don't have to pay to read my articles, um, but it was first speaking. And then lately, we've sort of gotten into courses. You and I have done a course that's, that's helped a lot of leaders called The Art of Better Preaching. We got a new one on the books that'll be coming out next year. And um, that's the one or 2% of products I offer that are paid, but the little bit that's paid, paid for everything else. So it's kind of a fun model, the freemium model, where you can, you can read my stuff, benefit from it. And our slogan at the company that I run now, Carrie Newhoff Communications, is we want our free stuff to be better than most people's paid stuff. So, I mean, we're putting some free stuff out. We, we have put time and money and effort and heart and great ideas into it. Yeah. But then the little bit that we offer that is paid delivers even extra value. And, and that manages to fund everything and the staff and the team. And, you know, the podcast now reaches into the millions every year. Um, and so we have sponsors for that. So they, you know, that, that because of the audience size, um, that, that is a, a meaningful source of income. And then, you know, speaking exploded like it did for all of us. So, so much for that. Uh, but we have some other things that we do and, and we can, we can pivot. Um, so yeah, I love helping leaders and I, I really enjoy doing this. And I hope it's the next few decades. Like I'd well, love to read a few you, books. I think, I think you've tapped into something and you're helping us all, to be honest, as leaders uh, in this weird. But mood. I think the thing to hear about it is it's so gradual, right? Like this wasn't like, I quit my day job and now here we go. Like when I stepped off church staff and took a, out of the lead pastor role and took a pay cut, it was a risk. I had two kids in university, one in engineering, one in accounting. Like those are expensive programs. And I'm like, Okay, God, I don't know. We didn't have the economic model figured out, but God always provides. And uh, we were able to put our kids through school. And, and now looking ahead, God willing, at the next few decades, it's like, I, th I think this is going to be a lot of fun. What about, what about the fact that no one can spell your last name? Was that ever a, uh, was that ever a problem? Actually, Google loves that because you can get it so wrong and they still find me. Not a lot of people on the internet competing for Carrie Newhoff. So I'm pretty happy about that. I, uh, I, I, as, as someone who is put out a course with you and putting out another one, every time I post something about it and want to tell people to watch it, I have to literally Google your name, copy it and paste it because I get very confused. There are more I's, E's, U's and W's and H's than I've ever seen compiled in one place and some of us with my background we really struggle with like mark clark that's just yeah. so confusing it's I, just like why is it so simple man Carrie. yeah you got to go to holland you know when i first took my kids to holland that's where my parents are from it's a dutch name okay. it's funny new n-i-e-u-w is the dutch word for new and so when you see like new car in every billboard in Holland, it's like new, you know, new product, new line, new milk, new model, new whatever. Right. It's N-I-E-U-W. And the kids are like, they were teenagers at the time. And they're like, dad, we feel like we're home. People understand us. It's like, yep, this is where you come from. Love it. Okay. So you, um, you interact with a lot of leaders. Let me, let me uh, land the plane here. Um, we're in a weird time, obviously, since March, um, pandemic time, leaders are bailing out cutting out, confused about the future, confused about the present. What are you seeing, one or two or three? I know you do a lot of research, Barna and this and that. You're constantly in this world of where are the trends going, all of that. What are you seeing leaders struggling with right now? 
I see leaders who are wedded to old methods and are losing the mission. So, you know, church would be a good example. So in-person versus online, right? And people get really passionate. It's almost like mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, right? There, there are people and they've been all over my channels because I've been an advocate, a proponent of online. Well, look, this is world headquarters. This is the basement of my house. Like I run a company that reaches millions of leaders a year. And you get, a sassed. you get sassed online constantly when you post about this. I, I, sometimes, I I'll just go, sometimes I'll just go there at night so I feel better about myself. For entertainment. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, yeah, the popcorn, right? I'm here, I'm here for the comments. These people do not like what you're saying. No, they don't. And that's, that's the role. And I think because, you know, our whole model that we have grown accustomed to broke with COVID. Restaurants, their model broke. Gyms, their model broke. Schools, the model broke. Like everything broke when, and, and the thing is, the, the model or the method is, that's all it is. It's the method, right? right. Like, like, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, Mark, but I, I said it long before it was even a possibility, like it wasn't showing up. But it, we talked earlier today and I'm like, dude, you're building a national church. And how is that happening? You know, with with locations in most of the provinces. And I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing. That is something you couldn't have done in the 80s or the 90s because like what, on a cassette ministry, that's how that's gonna work? No, but we have this thing called the internet and social media. And um, people all over Toronto will listen to your teachings and then they can gather in communities. So, you know, digital scales in a way that physical doesn't. And so what I'm trying to do as someone, one of the last things I did. Yeah. No, one of the last things, and you've been there to connect us numerous times. So you've been in our building and it's not, it's not huge. And we had limits, we had zoning issues. We had, so it's 26,000 square feet, right? It's not big, but it's fine. I wanted it to be bigger. But one of the last things I did as lead pastor and my joke when I would tour people through the brand new building when it opened in 2015 was we built a broadcast studio with a church attached because we overinvested. Because I knew even five years ago, more people were ever going to see the ministry of our church through the lens of a camera and through the screen on their devices than they were from sitting in a seat in one of our locations. And that's just where the future was going, right? And so we built that. So when COVID happened, Jeff, my successor, just flipped a switch and it was an easy conversion. And that's, that's even more true going forward. So I look at it this way. It's a chance to reach the world. Like, come on, guys, get on with the program. Let's, let's do it. Look, if I can do a, a podcast from my basement that has 14 million downloads, I promise you, you can reach people with the gospel. Um, and you'll have lots of people who gather in person. Like, that's great. But there are more who won't. Why yeah. not go reach them? Yeah. So our buddy, uh, our buddy, Shant. Uh, oh, yeah, Shant. Founder of the Burgers Priest and now fourth man in the fire. I don't know if you've been there yet, but fantastic. Not yet. No, we, we've been in this thing called lockdown, but I want to get there. Um, yeah. Um, so one of the pivots, speaking of, you know, you were talking about restaurants needed the pivot. And I thought about this because he just texted me the logo for his new He's adding donuts to his pizza. Oh, he said he just got a shipment. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. He's been working on donuts, like perfecting California donuts, three bucks a pop donut, you know, kind of quality, unbelievable. And the, the name. <laughs> what? The name for his donut joint or donut business is Harry and Heels based on Jacob and Esau. <laughs> So this is the logo. It's uh, a hairy man with a guy grabbing his heel behind him. <laughs> Based on- Only Jacob. Sean could do that, dude. Only I, Sean could do that. Way Jacob, to go, Sean. Jacob's grabbing Esau's heel, Esau's hairy, for those of you who haven't read Genesis recently. Hey, it's memorable. Purple Cow, man, Seth Godin. It's memorable. You got to make it- memorable. I mean, who? It's, it's a little bit like, do I want a hairy donut? No, I don't want a hairy donut, but- Right. G- Esau was a hairy man and Jacob grabbed the heel. Yeah. Yep. So if, uh, if Sean comes to me a bunch of years ago and says, I'm going to call my burger joint, the burgers priest, or I'm going to call my pizza joint fourth man in the fire. I'm going to say, these are all bad business decisions because I have never started a restaurant before. And he's a brilliant thinker in that regard. But the point is he has had to pivot when he opened fourth man in the fire, COVID hit, he flipped it. Now it's delivery. Uber guys come pick it up. 
and it's been very well. It's booming. It's crazy. Um, we all have to do that. And, and church, I think what your spirit is, uh, is yes, we all understand Hebrews. We all understand acts. We all want to get, we all want to gather. Of course we do, but the church has a history of, of, of being dinosaurs in regard to, I mean, I was, I was speaking at conferences, Carrie, where I was on the stage. Okay. I remember this two years ago, I got up and get it, gave a talk to 700 leaders in Vancouver. And I said, look, here's what we're trying with video, cinema sites, video, yada, yada, yada. And then I'm in a Q and a on the stage in front of all these leaders and five other leaders. And one of the leaders looks at me, he goes, I just fundamentally disagree with what you're doing. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't think video is real. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you can't do, you can't do video with live people and think that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to them. And I'm on a stage in front of all these people. Like, are you calling me? What? And so, and now you realize that these people have had to pivot and do that because that's what they're doing now. Well, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit blessed video. I know in March 2020, all of a sudden, all these guys who are like, video doesn't work, video doesn't work. It's like, oh, video works. Video I'm works. Kidding. It's fine. It's good. Yeah. But I do feel for the, I was talking to my buddy who's a pastor of a, you know, 100 person church, you know, no money for a video camera. And this, I mean, I feel for, I want to go back, Carrie. I want to go back. Of course, all, in person is ideal in regard yes. to community and all of that. 100%. But it's a both and approach. It's and I'm going, I'm not going to shut off our online. You know, we never had an online campus. We had YouTube videos every week, but we didn't have an online church until March. We were planning on it. It, you know, COVID moved it up nine months, but now we're not going to shut it off. Yeah. I, I predict that at Village Church, what we've seen, let me just give you a little anecdote here. So we've seen 1,700 people. So not eyeballs, because that's hmm. far more than that. I'm talking 1,700 people since March have raised their hand and said, I want to be, become a member. I want to go to a community group. I want to start giving. I want to whatever. Purely from online, from all over North America, actually from all over the world, but from all over North America that have said, Village Church is now my church. So again, not views on YouTube. Yeah. We talk about people. These are self-identified people. Give us, I want to start giving. I want to start being involved. I want to start serving. 1,700 people. If any church plant, if I planted a church in Toronto next weekend and it had 1,700 people nine months from now, I'd be like, this is the greatest success story. I've ever Absolutely. Seen. And those are real people. And it's bringing in income. Like it's, it's not people who are just sitting there being non-contributing zeros, sucking resources from the, you know, of the church. It's like, I'm in, I want to give, I want to help. I want to serve. This is my church. That's unbelievable. And that's Carrie. Here's my point. That's without even trying. Yeah, we, you don't even have your strategy developed yet. I haven't, I've never addressed them. I've never sent them a video. I've never told them about our finances. I've never said, here's the budget. So I picture in five years from now, the people who call Village Church their home, 70% of them, 60% of them, could people who are not at the physical locations at all. Dude, okay, you know, when you were talking, because nobody had asked me that yet, and I, I haven't, haven't said anything about it, but I'm like, you know what the future looks like? I was going to say exactly what you just said, 70-30. That 30% of the people who call Village or pick your church will be sitting in a row and, you know, they're in person on a given Sunday. Yeah. And then 70% will be accessing it through a screen. Now, that might mean that, you know, Aaron and you aren't there next week, but I, Tony and I take your seat. And then right. you guys are watching on a screen and we're there next time. So it could be that you cycle through sure. yeah. 50, 60, 70% of your people, but there's that digital experience, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it was a decade ago for the first time that all of us could have digital friendships. Like you and I met over Twitter. And what happens is probably, I don't know, dude, like what, 80% of our conversations have happened not in person, maybe 90%. Yep. But like we have a real friendship, but when we see each other, whether that's in Vancouver, San Diego, Toronto, wherever we happen to be on the road together, um, we just pick up like we left off, right? 
Like yeah. you and I spent a couple hours together today. It was great. It was yeah. rich. It was powerful. Yeah. And when we see each other in person, it'll be, we'll just pick up where we left off. Like that is the future. And most of that is going to be through a screen. And if you miss it, here's like, you're like, oh, well, I'm just going back to in-person church and that's awesome. And we're not going to pay attention online. Great. So here's what you do. You cap out your potential at 30% of your potential. You want to do that? Great. More power to you. But if you really want to grow your mission, get yeah. on board. The opportunity is insane. Um, you know, I plant in any city across Canada um, and we're still going to do that. We're planning on Winnipeg. We're planning on Toronto. We're talking to a guy in Halifax. We're even think we're in a conversation. It's not to go anywhere in the, in the States. Uh, yeah, it's okay. No one's watching. So physically, yeah, exactly. Physical locations. Great, great, great. Love it. The, um, the potential online is just, as you have said brilliantly, and I don't know if you stole this line or whether you thought it up in your brilliant mind, but everyone you want to reach is online. No, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you look at what's happening in business. Yeah. 7 billion you, you people. A lot of business yeah. You, you know, like Dropbox, I'm looking at what's happening at Dropbox. So they got all the square footage in Silicon Valley. They're downsizing and they are now converting all of their office space into, you know, you don't have cubicles and offices anymore. It's all meeting space. So basically they're going to keep a percentage of their square footage, but it's right. all common areas. And yeah. so the idea is that you can work in Washington state, you can work in Idaho, yeah. you can work in Chicago if you want, you can be distributed, but they fly you in once a quarter or whatever. When you're in the office, you yeah. use some of the common space and you do collaborative work. And, and I think the church is going to move like churches like Village that are on the front end, end of this, you will become a location independent church. Just like, uh, you know, I have a team, a small team, not a big team, but there's eight of us who work in this company. And, you know, I have people in Nebraska, Florida, Memphis, um, here in Canada, in Toronto. And that's my team, Hamilton. Yeah, and, and we just meet. We've been doing Zoom from when it was in beta. Like, you can run a company. I know a friend who runs a $100 million company. He has like 80 employees. And they're all distributed. Everything's virtual. And I've been to his office. You know what his office looks like? It looks like this, a desk, okay? And it's right. not even piled up with paper. Um, and he runs it out of his home. And yeah. it's a hundred million dollar company. So that is the future. And we got to, we got to understand that and get there. Like, it's not, Oh, this is coming. It's no, this is here. Yeah. This is here. This is, yeah. The ship has sailed. Okay. Okay. Look, brother, love you. Let hey. you get back to your family. I'm coming out to visit you very soon. And hopefully bed for me, just, just to the right of that place where you're sitting is my, is my bed in a very cold room, but thank you uh -huh. for hosting me always. And we bought you a space heater. We decided to splurge. Merry Christmas, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, how's Tony's new book? It's great. How's it you know, any day we're going to get copies of it. So yeah. it tells our story. So when I burned out around that time, our marriage was not in good shape. Yeah, it's we called Before it. You Split, y'all. called Before You Split. And she's also a divorce attorney we met in law school. Yeah. So I wasn't doing family law. She did family law. And so she just sat with hundreds of people and learned some stuff about what happens when you think divorce is going to be better. Um, it's not often better. And... Um, so she takes all those insights, puts it together in the book, comes out January 12th. You can pre-order it now. It's awesome. No, it's great. And uh, she sent me a copy of it and it's awesome. And I have already- Thanks for endorsing up, it. Yeah. And I've already lined up a few people to read it because they're in that moment right now. And that's, that's a whole other podcast talking to you and Tony about before you split and marriage or maybe just talking to her. But uh, anyway, love you, brother. We'll see you very love soon. Love you, man. Thanks for taking the time. Okay. Always, Mark. Okay, Thanks. Rock on.